freedom, man. That's what it's all about. Welcome. You are listening to What on Earth is Happening. This show will discuss the topics of human consciousness, mind control, natural law, the occult, and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of Earth. What on Earth is Happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Welcome one and all. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on the Oracle Broadcasting Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. The network's website, oraclebroadcasting.com. Today is Sunday, June 10th, 2012. We have a great show planned for you here today. Going to be continuing our ongoing discussion of solutions, particularly the non-support of the dominator culture in general. And we're going to be talking today about the concept of selflessness, not what is traditionally thought of when you use the term selflessness. Okay, and we're going to talk about the difference between those two terms. We're not talking about traditional selflessness, but the concept of selflessness. Lessness, the absence of the self, the destruction of the self, the loss of the connection to the higher self, and the condition of slavery, which that inevitably leads to. And that's largely where we're at as a species, ladies and gentlemen. So, this concept of selflessness we're going to discuss in relation to the master slave hierarchy the system of hierarchical command and obedience. That's coming up on this edition of What on Earth is Happening. I have several event announcements. The first, of course, is the big event coming up here in Philadelphia this summer. Next month, only about a month away, the Nikola Tesla Energy Independence Celebration is actually really less than a month now. July 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th here in Philadelphia, the Tesla Science Conference will be the centerpiece of this event. July 7th and 8th, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. at Ruba Hall, 414 Green Street, where the Free Your Mind Conference was held last year. Tickets are only $25 per day per person in advance and only $30 at the door. Tickets available through PayPal at the Tesla Science Foundation website, teslasciencefoundation.org. There will be also a social gathering at the end of each day uh, uh, conference event, 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. on both days at Ruba Hall in the Cabaret Room. There will also be an awards ceremony and concert featuring the Divine Hand Ensemble, a theremin-centered ensemble 
featuring Mono Davina. You cannot miss these guys. They're absolutely sensational. July 7th, 8 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. at Ruba Hall also upstairs in the main room. Tickets for the concert are only $12. Also, a Tesla night birthday party on Independence Mall Park at the Independent Independence Visitors Center featuring live music and a Tesla coil demonstration July 9th into the, the 10th from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. 5th and Market Streets here in Philadelphia that is free to attend. For more information visit the Tesla Science Foundation website at teslasciencefoundation.org. We'll be right back ladies and gentlemen. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on the Oracle Broadcasting Network. You have your sunglasses on because you're going to need them. Too many of us uh, don't have a pair, if you know what I mean. So, um, let's continue with some event announcements. The Truth, Freedom, Prosperity Documentary Night here in Philadelphia um, is going to be taking place Thursday, June 28th, the last Thursday of every month, and that will be at Essene Food Market. Essene Food Market is at the corner of 4th and Monroe Streets here in Philadelphia, just south of South Street. We'll be showing Cywar this month. I actually need to update the uh, meetup page for that event. But uh, Cywar is a phenomenal film about mind control. And um, th- this is the direction that these documentary films have gone since uh, Barb and I have actually taken over uh, you know, the the. Uh, responsibility to host uh, this uh, event as part of Truth, Freedom, Prosperity every month. So uh, you won't want to miss that if you're in the Philadelphia area and especially if you haven't seen the film Psy War yet. I will be making a radio appearance on Occult Empire with Bob from Cincinnati, good friend to this show. June 21st, the night of the summer solstice on Antimatter Broadcasting. Bob and I will be discussing natural law, and I'll be going in-depth on the topic. So you won't want to miss that on the Antimatter Broadcasting Network. That is on June 21st. That is also a Thursday evening. Thursday evening, and I believe it will be from 8 to 10 p.m. I'll be posting more information about that radio appearance on my website this week, and I will be uh, announcing it again to remind everyone next week. So... One other quick announcement. I made an appearance on the Bob Tuscan show this past Thursday night, and it got very interesting in the second hour. I got into a heated exchange with some callers to the show, specifically callers who advocated the practice of carnism or eating the flesh of animals. And I haven't made a big deal about this on this show yet. I've made my views pretty clear how I stand on this topic. But the ignorance of some of the callers started to get to me, and I, I started hammering back. So uh, 
you can hear that. It's in the news section, the top item in the news section of the show. And uh, I definitely got angry, and I feel it's justifiable anger because if you understand and know that the principles of correspondence and cause and effect are in operation in this realm, it's part of the big reason why humanity is farmed. This is a farmed species, ladies and gentlemen. Whether you understand that or not is irrelevant. We are farmed animals who don't have actual freedom. Certainly not in the physical domain. You can be free spiritually. You can also be free mentally. You can free your mind. But you're still on a farm. Let's make no mistake about it. And let's not mince words about it either. Earth is a farm. And the farmers who control us will continue to do so for as long as we continue to embody the domination principle that we own the life of another. And that's all it really comes down to. You could talk about dietary, nutritional needs and uh, all the other things that go along, the ancillary or secondary topics until the end of time, until the end of all time. But if you'll notice when you listen to this show, the principle, meaning the first thing, is ignored by the callers, all except the caller Mike from New York who is actually brilliant and really should have his own radio show. I would listen. I'll tell you that much. Okay. Um, but all the other, the other callers who called in and advocated for this practice. And again, this will set off a big chain reaction and a hot heated debate among people. And I don't want to spend too much time on this because I'm going to do probably either an entire show or maybe even two shows. I'm tacking that, that on to this section on the non-supportive dominators because what better practice to explain the entire mindset of domination than the killing of another animal and eating it. There's no better example of domination than that. And we don't understand as a species, we still can't really truly grasp the nature of the universe as a mirror. The law of correspondence is a law. It's a principle and a law. That which is above is that like to that which is below. It's not up to you. It's not a belief. That is not my belief, ladies and gentlemen. The universe is like that. And I'm stating that as fact. It's not my belief system. Effect invariably follows cause. That's not my belief. That's a fact. That's the way things actually are. That's natural law. That's universal law. Another thing people don't understand is that natural law doesn't mean dog eat dog. It doesn't mean survival of the most ruthless. It's not macrobiological Darwinian evolution in the physical domain. That's not what natural law is. Natural law is the laws of the consequences of the behaviors that we choose with our free will. And how that, those decisions are, are always being reflected back to us. So if you go to the first item in the news section where it says Mark is interviewed on the Bob Tuscan show June 7th, 2012, I posted there my response to the, to the show. Okay, And I'm just going to briefly read that. Uh, I posted a note there. And I said, I would like to stand behind every word that I said on this show. Every word. And if it offends any of you, feel free to get as offended as you like. 
There's the tagline for the show. I would also like to point out how not one person who advocated the taking of animal life on this show addressed the fundamental, the fundamental, primary, natural law issue that the taking of another, the taking, the life of another being does not belong to you. It belongs to that being. And thus the taking of it is theft and therefore a violation or a transgression against natural law. When listening to the podcast, please take note of how this primary issue is completely ignored by all but the last caller. I, I, I think he was the last caller, Mike, from New York. The previous callers only offered endless justifications and non sequiturs. Also note, one caller claimed to understand the natural law principles of correspondence and cause and effect, yet stated that he doesn't believe in them, and he doesn't believe that those principles actually exist and are in operation in our lives. I ask my listeners to please try to understand that this level of ignorance is the very reason, and here's the magic word, ladies and gentlemen, why... We are an enslaved race of beings. And unless and until we evolve in consciousness to truly grasp natural law without making endless justifications for actions which violate it, our situation is never going to change, but indeed it will become progressively worse. Chew on that, contemplate it. And I'll do a whole show on this topic. In this section, coming up in a few weeks, we'll be right back. Okay, we're back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Oracle Broadcasting. Without belaboring this point for too much longer, I just also want to point out that on the um, news item for the Bob Tuscan Show, which I appeared on this past Thursday, June 7th, I also posted underneath the show ex excerpts dealing with the concepts of nutrition Assimilation, the law of assimilation, which is something we have not covered here on uh, this radio show as of yet, but uh, I have posted a little bit of information on that natural law and natural law itself. On um, th These were excerpts from Max Heindel's book, The Rosicrucian Cosmo Conception, uh, a magnum opus of occult information. And um, these three sectional excerpts actually really give the take on why we really should not be engaged in the eating of animal uh, flesh in general, but moreover, they explain the deeper reasons that this is. The, uh, particularly when you look at the law of assimilation, you'll understand why it's not good for you, and two, when you look at the natural law issue, that dominates above everything else. That that is just the the that is the end of the discussion, as far as I'm concerned. And you know, before I go further, let me just say I didn't become a vegetarian overnight, and that's not what I was advocating for either. 
That's not what I'm telling everybody to do. What I'm telling you to do is if you recognize the fundamental natural law issue involved in this topic, to begin mentally to even transition away. The desire has to be born first to want to get away from that cultural practice of eating meat. Then you could take baby steps in order to do it and begin to wean away and understand. And you have to make a study of this. This isn't something you just do out of the blue, willy-nilly. You don't just do this. You have to make a study. You have to make a plan, a game plan. I didn't just automatically stop eating meat one night, and I wouldn't tell anyone to do that. And I'll tell you another thing. I, str I struggled with this at first to the extent that I I'm telling you, when I made the mental decision to do this, to stop eating meat. I never thought I would have the courage uh, to, or the strength to be able to do it. I didn't think I would have the will to do it. I, I sold myself short. And while I knew that I was still engaged in a practice that was helping to continue to perpetuate enormous amounts of suffering and pump that energy into the morphic field of the morphogenic field of the earth, okay, and, and really was taking consciousness down as a result of it, it, continuing to uh, do this practice, I was still eating meat. Having known that in my own mind, I was still doing it. So I was in contradiction, and that's a painful place to be. I remember one day, Barb had left for work. She, she works in the evening, and I was going to make myself dinner, a late dinner, and I went to my freezer and I pulled a hamburger out of the freezer and I literally began to weep. I literally wept like a child because I, I was thinking to myself, I'm so weak. How am I ever going to do what I know is the right thing to do? This owns me is what I was thinking. I sat at the kitchen table and wept like a child, literally tears streaming down my face because I said, I'm too weak to do this. I don't have the willpower to do it. I'm never going to be able to change myself. And I'm, I'm going to eternally be in contradiction. I'm going to eternally be a hypocrite is what I was thinking in my own mind. I'm going to teach the law of love. I'm going to teach natural law. And I'm going to continue to put this kind of suffering into the world by, by engaging in it, by adopting it. And I sold myself short. And that's just a little prelude you know, to what I'll do on a future show. But I did have the willpower to do it. And when I began, when I actually looked into what I needed to do and then started to do it, it was one of the easiest things I ever did. I had all the willpower to be able to do it. And again, I'm not commanding anybody to do this. I'm explaining there's a natural law issue that is bringing certain eventualities into all of our lives as a result of our practices, as a result of our ways of being in the world. It's the law of cause and effect. And for as long as we do these practices, they will be done unto us. That's the law of correspondence. So as long as humanity farms, humanity will be farmed. And I mean the farming of animals. So check out that very enlightening information on the, uh, uh, news page, the excerpts dealing with nutrition, assimilation, and natural law by Max Heindel. He was absolutely brilliant, and I don't, be I don't believe in or uh, uh, acknowledge every single thing that this gentleman ever said, but he had it right about most things, okay? And th these are some of them. 
So with that being said, I want to tell people about the policy on the call-in number today. I am provisionally accepting calls, okay? And here are the provisions. If you saw actual combat, meaning you actually engaged in combat operations in the European theater of operations during World War II only, okay, then please call in to the following number during this show, 866-841-1065. I want to ask you a blind question. You have no idea what the question is. And if no one called, no one called in last week, I asked for callers on this topic last week, I will screen the call. To, to sh you, you will need to show me in some way that you were in your uh, World War II, okay? I'm not going to just take the call on the air. I'll take it off air. If you were in World War II, European theater of operations, you saw actual combat, then call into this number, 866-841-1065. I'm not taking calls until the dominator section of solutions is over. Then we'll do two whole call-in shows uh, about the non-support of dominators. But for this show only, if you saw combat in the European theater of operations, feel free to call in. Okay, let's begin with the actual topic for this show today. And as always, you can go up to the What on Earth is Happening radio show page where there are images for today's show posted under the player on that page. And the first slide was the Tesla... Energy Independence Celebrations poster. Feel free to print those, give them to friends, uh, repost them, okay? Uh, the second slide, of course, is the way out. That's this entire section of solutions. The third slide is the grassroots solutions for real and positive change listed there. We've covered the majority of them. We are now on the non-supportive dominators. Slide number four shows the section, the non-supportive dominators. And slide number five is what we're going to be talking about today. The concept of selflessness, and I've hyphenated it, and you will please take note that the S in the word self is capitalized because we are talking about the higher self in this instance, okay? Part of what I want to get into is that people don't listen to the actual meaning of words as they are being used by an individual. They will try to make their own definition up or they will go with what they already think something means in their own mind without actually listening to the person state what they're talking about. So people will see this word and they'll say, oh, that, that's all about being good to others. That's not what this word means. You have to look at the context that I've written it in. I've hyphenated the word. I've put a capital S at the very beginning. There's a reason this doesn't look like the normal English word selflessness because it's not it. It's different. It's selfless. Ness. See, we need to stop hearing what we want to hear and actually listen to what's there. Actually see what's there. Okay? So I'm going to break down the difference between these two terms. Selflessness and selflessness. This concept on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere, folks. We'll be right back. I was born a shotgun in my hands Behind the gun I'll make my final stand Yeah 
know, you know, folks, we really are in bad company. I, I, I really do believe that humanity is com almost completely retarded. And, you know, get as offended about that as you like as well, because it's, it's true. I went for literally probably three minutes explaining that I wanted only callers who had seen combat in World War II in the European theater. And yet still people call in. You're not going to get on the air. I'm going to screen the call in an off-air segment and, and make sure that, that you meet the requirements. So people are still trying to call in to make whatever point they want to make. And I'm not interested in hearing anything anyone has to say right now. I have a question for a war, war, World War II combat veteran. If you're not a World War II combat veteran who saw combat in the theater of operations in Europe, I don't want to hear a word from you right now. I don't know how much clearer I can be about that. You know? Like, it's, it, it's children. We're dealing with children. This is why you're in a cage. You're in a cage because you don't even understand your own language, let alone the language that your owners are using to dominate everything around you. The wordless language of symbolism that they use on you and on the other people who control you every day of your life. You can't even understand verbal language. It's sad. It's really sad. So without getting too much, without focusing too much attention on that, back to the actual topic at hand, which is selflessness. P part of what makes people not able to comprehend simple language, I guess. Okay, so self selflessness, the normal in the normal sense that people use it, okay, means having, exhibiting, or motivated by no concern for oneself. And by oneself, we mean the lower self, the body, the ego, okay? It, it means selflessness means unselfish, altruistic. This is on slide number six now we're focusing on. In the traditional sense, this word, without any hyphens or capitalization, okay, it means you're not concerned for yourself. Your concern is toward others. It's altruism. Okay. It's, it's being unselfish. Okay. It's motivated by the desire to improve and evolve one's higher self, which we all really share. We're all one at that fundamental level. The higher self is what you're aspiring toward when you engage in this modality of consciousness, which is selflessness. Okay. What we're going to, that's not what we are going to be talking about today on the show. This is a, a wonderful, high-minded ideal that we should strive toward. This is good. This is what is really going to unite us. This is what's going to bring us toward a solution to our problems in consciousness. Selfishness is, selflessness is what we should strive toward. But what we should try to avoid at all cost is selflessness the hyphenated form where the S at the top is capital. This is a construct. This is a, an idea. It's a concept that means something that we're going to be talking about today, that dominators are all trapped in this modality. It's the exact opposite of selflessness. Okay? Selflessness, I've shown a picture of orcs in Lord of the Rings. 
these completely degraded beings who used to be like elves, which are magical and high-minded creatures, yet these beings are completely destroyed. They are degraded. They have, they have gone so low in consciousness that they have devolved into something which they uh, were not originally intended to be like. But their low consciousness brought them into this form of degradation. Okay? So, um, selflessness in its, the hyphenated form is the condition of having lost the connection to the true self. You've lost the connection to your real being. You're completely identified by the lower nature, the, the lower animalistic, instinctual elements of the being. Okay? You're motivated only by base instincts of the lower self. Selflessness, okay, is complete selfishness. It's selfishness. You're only concerned about you, what it means for you. That's all that is of any import to you. You are driven only by lower self-preservation, meaning the body, the ego. That's all you're concerned about. This is a satanic ideology in the purest sense of the term. It is that which destroys, tears apart, creates strife, creates opposition, creates suffering. This is the whole entire dynamic that leads to all of the creation of suffering in our world. So, what we need to do is transcend this condition of selflessness. But before we can do that, we really need to understand what it is. We need to know what its characteristics are. And I'm going to explain this in allegorical terms. And I'm going to use two popular fictional allegories. Now, if you look at the slide that I gave for the concept of selflessness, okay, you will see there a picture of the character Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Okay, Gollum. Now, who Gollum was was a being that used to be um, a hobbit-type creature, if you're familiar at all with the Lord of the Rings series, the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the, and the book The Hobbit, the prequel. Gollum was so attached to the desire to possess the ring, which is power over others, control, wealth, Okay, only focusing on the physical world and trying to maintain control and dominance and physical wealth. That's what the ring represented in Lord of the Rings, which is why it had to be destroyed. It had to be destroyed. And there were so few that were even worthy of attempting that task because it's so tempting to hold that power in your hands. So, of course, the character Frodo eventually is decided that he will take the ring because he's the purest among them. And even he ultimately is, isn't truly up to the task. The ring weakens him and it has to be given back and forth between people. But 
to go back to Gollum, Gollum is a destroyed being. He had the ring for so long. In other words, had this desire for power for so long, power over others, that it destroyed him and it turned him into something that he wasn't. It turned him into Gollum. He used to be Smeagol and it turned him into Gollum, the ring. He is a complete husk, a shell of his former self. He is nothing like Smeagol was. Smeagol may have had some desires and some tendencies toward power, but in general, he wasn't the kind of essentially wicked and depraved creature that Gollum is. So that's why I chose Gollum for this image, because it really does depict a true slave. It depicts a true destroyed being. It's a perfect example of a destroyed being. And in all honesty, this is the closest thing that our owners or claimed owners, the people who think they own other people. Okay, let's make that distinction. They're not really our owners. They're people who would claim to be our owners. They're people who think that they have the right to be our owners and farmers. Okay? Um, this is how they look at people. This is how they look at, mo at most people out there. They look at people as this creature, their creature, a creature of their making, of their design, a golem or a golem, one who has life breathed into it, but it was just clay. It was molded. It was formed by the hands of the master. And then they animated it like a, a flesh robot, a biological robot. And you know what? It depicts the condition of selflessness perfectly. It depicts people's modern servitude perfectly. This is a perfect example, a perfect allegorical symbol of what a person in this state of consciousness actually is like. They're like Gollum or a golem. It's a very accurate depiction. So let's look at a little bit of the allegory of Lord of the Rings and how all of the, the beings in it are kind of degraded, the ones who are uh, working for the Dark Lord in this movie. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. And we'll be getting to the Star Wars allegory, which you're not going to want to miss later on. We're back, everyone. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. We're getting ready to explain the characteristics of selflessness, the loss of the connection to the true self, through a couple of popular science fiction allegories. And these are beautiful allegories, really, that most people do not understand the allegorical nature of the information contained in these works of seeming works of fiction. They're not fictional at all when you really look at it. They're fables. They are parables to tell a story about what's really going on in the world, but to just put it in fictional terms. So it seems more exciting and people will be willing to pay attention to it for longer periods of time. You know, most people don't want to hear about what's really going on in this world. 
But maybe if you make up a story and you throw in the lesson, you throw the moral lesson in there, maybe people will pay attention. You know, it's the example of art imitating life and how you could slip something into someone's subconscious mind. And that could be done for good or ill. That's true. But in these cases, I'm telling you that these are done for light purposes. These are done to enlighten the reader or the watcher if it's in movie form. People often have the wrong ideas of allegorical fiction. Often it's, these stories are told by people who really do know what's going on in the world and are trying to explain it to people. But they know they, you know that people have such a shutdown mind and are so unwilling to listen and have such a short attention span that they can't just tell it to them straight out. They can't do what I've been, in essence, attempting to do for the past two years. Just treat someone like an adult. Expect that they can understand that they actually have the the acumen to even grasp a conceptual idea and just tell it straight out. That's my approach. I treat the listeners to my program like rational thinking adults with the capacity to understand and change because I have respect for them. I think many still need to have more respect for themselves in general in the world. Most need to have more self-respect. I mean, I did a whole show on the concept of self-respect. That's what this is all ultimately going to boil down to, folks, in the end, is to look in the mirror and decide to make that change toward the higher self, to bend the lower self to your true will, to the will of creation, and help it to evolve. So few have the will to do that because we've lost that connection to the higher self. The people who listen to this show, though, I believe their intent is to go up in consciousness, to make that climb, to make that ascension. And, uh, you know, so, you know, I don't want to be too hard on people who are trying to get it. You know, they're doing the work. And, And doing the work even slowly is better than not doing it at all. Most people aren't making any progress. They're not moving. They, they love where they're at. They want to stay exactly where they're at. They love it. They don't even see the problem. And that's why the dark occultists call them the unbegun. They have such a destroyed connection to the true self. They haven't even started attempting to make any change. There's not even any desire born in them to make any changes in their life or in society in a wider sense. And that's why all of us are enslaved. And it's our job not to say, well, well, whatever, who cares about those people? We need to help them to, to give birth to, in themselves, that desire to want to change themselves and to want to change society for the better. We can be influences for that process. It isn't all about just working on ourselves and saying, Well, who cares what anyone else does? Yeah, you do need to work on yourself first. Okay, but but if you're in a position where you've built the strength up and you have a deep enough understanding, you then have a responsibility to help uh, assist others up in that climb who may not be as strong as you. And that's a hard, hard level of consciousness to get to. I understand that. Believe me, I struggle with it all the time all the time, and I have to make a continual renewal of that effort, a 
a continual renewal of that will. It's horrible sometimes. I'm not going to lie. But I'm going to keep doing it. Because the, the people who think they own this world and who own me are never going to break me. You don't understand the will you're up against. It's a transhuman will. It is, it is epi-human. It is beyond human, the willpower that imbues me. It's not of this world. It is of the higher self. That's where we need to get to. So let's look at this allegory of Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. A dark lord wants to take possession and control of everybody in the realm that they call Middle Earth. He wants to enslave everyone. Okay, Sauron, his name is. And you don't really see him. You see him in a physical body at the beginning of the movie, but he's a disincarnate entity, meaning he doesn't really have a body throughout this series. It says he was slain but not fully conquered or beaten because the ring that he held was still kept and held onto by man. He's supposed to be like Satan. He's supposed to be the, the concept of the true adversary of all freedom and all life. The, the destroyer. Okay, you could call it Apophis or Set in the, in the Egyptian tradition. Satan. Okay. Um, he's been called many, many different things. Kali is a destroyer in the Hindu tradition. You have uh, Apollyon, another destroyer. I believe that's Greek. And you can go on and on. I like the name Apophis personally because it's all about the opposite side of that god, Apophysis, Isis, and Apophis. Okay? And that's the process that truth is a destructive process. The concept that truth is a destructive process. Truth breaks down everything. It doesn't create anything new. It just shows you what's already there by chipping away at all the nonsense that you covered the truth up with and the ability to see it. All the, the grime that's co covering the ability of us to perceive the truth has to be destroyed, has to be wiped away. What we're talking about here in Lord of the Rings is the actual destructive process, the thing that actually creates disharmony and strife and chaos and discord and destruction in our lives, suffering. It's the force that tears us apart from within and then gets us to uh, go to war with each other and try to have control over other people because we're so destroyed from within. The self is in such a state of disarray and chaos and in internal confusion that all we then do, all the lower mind, the base mind, the reptilian mind does is say, well, I'm going to go and turn out all my aggression on someone else and I'm going to try to control them since I have no inner self-control. That's what all the desire to control stems from, internal anarchy. Anarchy within 
There's no ruler in the self because you're, you're, there's no connection to the self. So you're not actually governing yourself. You've lost that ability to govern yourself. And therefore, forces are going to be rearranged through the laws of correspondence and cause and effect to bring you the, the, the scenario that you need to learn those measures of self-control. And that's going to be, since you're out of control within and you're looking for control without, you're going to be controlled without. That's the, what the universe is going to bring you. And let me tell you, folks, this is not a belief system. This will, People have to get out of their heads. This is how nature works. This is how the living universe that you are part of operates, whether you like it or not. It's not about believing anything. It's about the discovery of natural principles that are inherent to creation. We'll pick up on the Lord of the Rings allegory and then get into the Star Wars stuff coming up. Stay with us. Okay, we're back. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Oracle Broadcasting. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. We're looking at image number seven on the slideshow, which is the allegory of Lord of the Rings and how it embodies this concept of selflessness, the loss of the connection to the higher self, the abandonment of self, the giving of oneself over to another entity that is commanding you, keeping you on a leash, keeping you chained, keeping you in chains as a slave to their will. And let's look at some of the beings in this allegory. We, we took a look at Gollum, this creature who was once Smeagol, lost his connection to that self, to his higher nature in any way, and became Gollum because of his desire to possess the ring. And he held it for hundreds of years. It gave him this unnatural long life. And you see the result. He's this totally crippled, uh, hideous, deformed, um, uh, degraded shell or husk of his former self. Okay? He's in the upper left corner there. That's Gollum. And then the orcs. I touched on them already a little bit. These are like the police of the order of Sauron. Okay? They do his bidding unquestioningly. Many of them look alike. They have all the same qualities. They wear similar uniforms. They wield weapons. And they attack on command like dogs. And they were once higher beings. They once had an elf-like nature. Magical. It is explained in the books and in the uh, movie series. And yet they lost that connection. They became degraded because of their desire for control and because of Sauron's influence. See, we have to understand this is all, this entire work that's going on is all about influence. 
Nobody can truly make anyone change, but there's influences at work. Well, are we going to be on the side of the negative influence, letting the negative influence us and then negatively influencing others by propagating their poison? Or are we going to be positive influencers? I'm not trying to tell you you can make anybody change. You can assist that process, however. That is possible. You can be an influence. You can be an inspiration, meaning help to help someone to imbue themselves with the spirit, to put the spirit into themselves, to open themselves up and receive the spirit, which is what the path to truth and higher consciousness is all about. It is about opening up. And that can only happen if you have the courage to open up. And that courage is inspired often by others, by others' influence. That's what alchemy is. It's not making, forcing something to happen. It's influencing it to happen. And then it becomes an organic process that's self-running. Once somebody starts setting foot on the path, forget about it. You know? That, that it's going to snowball. It's going to gain momentum. It's going to start picking up steam. Accelerate. And the exact opposite is true for the dark process. That process can also steam roll and accelerate as it starts picking up. That's I think that's where we're at now. People say, oh, there's a rapid acceleration in consciousness taking place. Well, there's certainly a rapid acceleration in the degradation of this species taking place. I'll tell you that. I see it in, happening in small pockets for those who are on the path to higher knowledge. Certainly not to the, the extent to the acceleration that it's that people are going down into the abyss right now. And we have a lot of work to do to reverse that process, ladies and gentlemen. Don't kid yourself. We'll pick this up on the other side. Stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Let's jump right back into the subject matter. We're talking about the concept of the destruction of the true self, the loss of the connection to the higher self, the higher mind, the soul, if you will. And we're using Lord of the Rings as an allegory to express these concepts, and I'm going to be getting into Star Wars as a perhaps an even better allegory to explain this loss of self and what it leads to, which is slavery. So, continuing with Lord of the Rings, uh, the orcs, they are completely given over to this dark force. They are like the police minions of Sauron, just turned loose whenever the Dark Lord wishes them to be used. And that's exactly what they are, used, used and abused, doesn't care what happens to them, you know, treats them as his pets, just like the dark occultists treat the police as theirs. And, um, you know, they, uh, they may have someone lower than them, you know, in the chain of hierarchical obedience, you know, that they get to give orders to and and clobber and cut up and, you know, et cetera, these orcs. 
That's the general people who live in the population who lives in Middle Earth. But they have owners. They have masters. Sauron is their owner and master. They do his bidding. They're even commanded by his general, the, uh, uh, I don't have him pictured here. He was a uh, Sauron, the white wizard who became the dark wizard. Okay. And, um, we look at some of Sauron's generals in his army, like the Ringwraiths. Now, look, if you notice, you're going farther and farther away from the self as you go higher and higher up this chain of obedience or command. Because you start with Gollum Smeagol, you know, he somewhat looks like his former self, but he's held onto the ring for so long he's become Gollum. The orcs look even more hideously deformed than even Gollum does. If you compare them certainly to elves, they're a world apart. And now we get into the ring wraiths that don't even have a body. They're like just this husk of a former self. They're just cloaked beings that seem to have form like a body, but there's no face. They're like all the same. There's no, no actual face. And it says they were once men. So you compare them to men and you get down to a wraith that's just a, sha a hooded shadowed figure that looks like the semblance of a man. But it's nothing. That's why they call it a wraith. It's a husk, a shell. There's nothing left, nothing there. Okay? And they do Sauron's bidding. They are slaves. And then, of course, Sauron is depicted throughout this series, this trilogy, as simply an eye, a disincarnate eye at Mordor, the mountain of doom. Okay? He doesn't have a body at all. He's just this concept, this I. And again, it's all to represent the ego, I. That's the thing that keeps people in this slavery mindset. You think he's not enslaved? You think Sauron is lord of anything, really? He's bowing down to the force of the desire to want to control, which is fear, which is chaos, which is confusion, ultimately. It's the loss of the connection to the real I, the real self. So, Lord of the Rings is a great example. And it, it goes a lot even further than this. I mean, this is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the allegory. But what I really want to get into is a favorite allegory of mine because it even better explains the chain of obedience See, we got to stop looking at the chain of command and start looking at the chain of obedience. Okay? So, the chain of obedience is what's really driving this slavery system. I posted a video to it previously. And I'm going to post it with this podcast again, I think, because it's so important to keep that concept in, in mind. It, the chain of command isn't what's controlling things. It's people's willingness to have respect for the chain of command, to think that they should obey, that they have any moral obligation to obey. People who think that they are authorities, to give any respect to these institutional authorities. That's the entire problem. That's the nature of the problem, is that there is a chain of command. 
that, uh, that there's a chain of obedience, I should say. I'm sorry. We have to get out of the willingness to obey. That's what's keeping this dominator culture so entrenched in our world. So Star Wars, I, I put a classical uh, uh, depiction, a drawing of the characters in, in Star Wars here, a great uh, montage, great uh, collage there of some of the characters uh, in the first movie. That's image number eight in the slides if you're following along or if you're following in the podcast, which will be podcast number uh, 111. So we're going to look at two aspects of this great allegory. We're going to look at the master-slave hierarchical relationship that's contained in the allegory. And I really wanted to make a pyramidal structure uh, with this, but maybe I'll, I'll tack it on to the end and show uh, you know this in pyramid form. But what I just did is explain um, some of the characters and who they have control over or at least seeming control over, okay, and who they are slaves to, who they have completely given themselves over to. So if we start looking at this master-slave relationship that is throughout the Star Wars saga, one of the first beings that you'll recognize is the stormtroopers, okay? They are, again, supposed to be the police or and military, they're the, the so-called dominators, the ones who are ostensibly the control forces, okay? And they're called stormtroopers, which is very, very um, German in its implications, or I should not use even the term German, it's Nazi in its implications. In the Third Reich, the SS, okay, was the, the police of the Nazis, okay? And... They came from, they were actually derived out of the SA, which is the former contingency of German police. And that's Sturmabteilung. That's what SA stands for. SS was the Schutzstaffel, the secret police. But the, the SA stood for the Sturmabteilung, which is the storm forces, the storm contingencies. In other words, stormtroopers. That's what they were called. So they're the master of the citizens, and they bark out and give the orders to all the people who they think are under them. But look at how many people they're enslaved by, and who they answer to, and who they bow down to. They bow down to their generals. They bow down to Darth Vader. They bow down to the Emperor. And ultimately, they bow down, as do all in this chain of obedience, to the dark side of the Force itself. We'll pick this up on the other side. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, everyone. If you're sitting out there listening... And you have a grandfather or a great uncle or someone who was in World War II. Ask them to call in or call in for them and put them on the line. I have a question I want to ask. It may be uh, somewhat uncomfortable to hear, but I want to get their take on it. And I'll, I'll keep the lines open until maybe someone calls in. I know it's probably rare to find someone that is, uh, you know, still alive and... Um, 
kind of, you know, with it and together to want to call into a radio show. They would have to be probably up near close to their 90s at this point, at least. But um, if anyone is out there listening, call in 866-841-1065 only for combat veterans. I don't want to talk to someone who uh, worked a desk job. Someone who actually fought in World War II in the European theater of operations. That's only who the lines are open for. That means if that's not you, don't call. You will not make it onto the show. Because I'll take the call off the air in an off-air segment to verify, and then I'll ask you the question on air. Okay? So let's get back to the material. We're looking at the allegory of Star Wars and how most of the beings that are fighting for the empire, the galactic empire, or I shouldn't even say most of, I should say all of those beings have given up their former selves and are slaves. So the stormtroopers, uh, very clear allusions in Star Wars allegorically to the Third Reich uh, throughout. You'll see this on the next slide as well. Um, a uh, uniform that looks quite like a Gestapo uniform as well. Uh, but in image number nine, we see the stormtroopers. They're all alike. And as we learn later, they're all clones of each other. We learn that later in the series. Okay? They're all the same, actually, underneath. Their inner essence is the same, even, even as well as them looking um, the same on the outside. Okay? The, the stripping away of all individuality. Again, the destruction of the self. Selflessness. No connection to the true self. This is all about conformity. Herd conformity. Giving away individuality. Giving away thinking for oneself. Giving away one's own conscience. Giving away one's own personal responsibility to some other force that you're going to take commands from. Whether they're in harmony with natural law or not, whether they cause harm or not. The stormtroopers are, quote, master of, they're the commanders, quote, unquote, of the citizens of the empire, which was once the republic. They are slave to all of these individuals, the generals who command them, the emperor, uh, uh, Vader, I'm sorry, Darth Vader, who is the lord of the Sith, the commander of all the forces of the emperor. The emperor himself and the dark side of the force itself, which all of them are a slave to. If we look at image number 10, we see the next level up of this master-slave hierarchy, the generals, okay? So there's the infamous Grand Moff Tarkin there on the left in his Gestapo uniform, all right? He's the master of the stormtroopers, and the citizens. Or if it's not closer to a Gestapo uniform, it may be closer to a, uh, a Wehrmacht general's uh, a uniform, possibly. But you look at who he is the, quote, master of. He commands the stormtroopers and then, of course, the citizens below them. And again, this is only if people believe in this claim. A lot of the citizens of their, this, quote, empire do not acknowledge the claims of these individuals and are fighting them, okay? So who is, who is the, a general like Tarkin 
a slave too. Well, he's certainly a slave to Vader, and so are all the other generals, because if they do the least thing that Vader doesn't like, he kills them, as seen there on the right. You know, that, that general didn't do a good job bowing low enough to his holiness, Darth Vader, or unholiness, as the case may be. He didn't do a good enough job as pet, as dog, for his owner. So his owner dispatched him. He did away with him. I don't like the job you're doing. Goodbye. And we bring in another selfless fool to fill in the, the position that I just nullified, that I just emptied with your shell. I got rid of your shell. Your husk is now gone. Goodbye, husk. Uh, in comes another husk now, ready to just give himself over. And all of these people actually think they're tough. They think they're men. That's the funniest part. They think this is all manly. When they're little girls, little girls, cowards. An obeyer is a little... Look, I don't want to insult the female persuasion by this. That's actually wrong of me to say. They're not little girls. That is so insulting to girls and women everywhere. And to even say that they're animals is insulting to the animal kingdom. You know, how much lower do we want to go? Bacterial slime molds? Well, that's insulting to bacterial life as far as I'm concerned. There's nothing as low as somebody who obeys someone else. Nothing. If you're not making the decision on your own and you're obeying because I'm given orders and that's what I do, I obey, you're lower than every form of life as far as I'm concerned. So the, the, the generals are slave to Vader first and foremost who commands them directly and they're also slave to the emperor and they're also slave to the dark side of the force as again are all of these individuals or I should say the opposite of individuals are all of these collectivists okay now we move to Vader himself one of the key characters in the whole uh, both trilogies the the uh, first trilogy of episodes 4, 5, and 6 and then the second one of the prequels 1, 2, and 3 Vader plays a great role so you look at who he is the, quote, master of or the commander of. Well, he commands the generals below him, the stormtroopers below them, and the citizens below them. So he's up there in the hierarchy now. Whoa, we're getting up there, right? Getting up to the real tough guys. They don't have that many people over them. But he's still a slave, and you see him bowing down, genuflecting on his knees, praying to his god, his lord, the emperor. So he's a slave. Vader's not a real tough guy. He's a slave who gets on his knees when commanded. He does the bidding of someone else. He's not really making his own decisions. He's a slave to the emperor and, of course, the dark side of the force, let's not forget. That force of fear, internal confusion, internal anarchy. Uh, and ultimately, the severing of the connection to the higher self. That's what the dark side of the force is. Selflessness. Every one of these people are selfless. The self is, the true self is gone in them. Otherwise, they would not do what they are doing. They would not even put themselves in this position 
of being a collectivist agent for an agenda that they are a part of and have given up their conscience to. So we'll look at the emperor on the other side of this break. Well, certainly there's no one above him. He's the top of the food chain, right? Wrong. We'll look at the emperor and then we'll start to look at what led to the creation of beings like this. They all have their story of what led to their creation. How their original self was destroyed. Stay with us, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We'll be right back. We're back, everyone. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. We're talking about the master-slave hierarchy as it is embodied in the allegorical science fiction series Star Wars, one of my favorite allegorical works of fiction. And we're looking at the character of the Emperor, who seems to be at the top of the food chain. And he may be, at least in human form, right? At least in human form, Something we haven't gotten really too much into in what on earth is happening, but we will in the future, if we have a future. The emperor is the seeming master of all, quote unquote master, okay? He's the seeming master of all because he's the master of Vader, the generals, the stormtroopers, and the citizen. He commands the entire galactic empire. Who's higher than him? But you know what? This old, broken down puppet of a man is a slave himself. He is still a slave. See, this is what a lot of people would aspire to. I want to get to the top of the food chain where there's nobody over me. Well, you know what? As long as your mindset is I'm going to own other people, I'm going to give them commands and they have to obey me, I control them, I'm their authority, you're never going to get out from being on your knees. You're never going to be free. You're never going to be a slave. You're never not going to be a slave, I should say. You will always be a slave. You will always be enslaved by that dark force itself which is fear. And here's the one with the most fear that it's all trickling through him down to the other people. He is a slave to the dark side of the force, the force of fear itself, which is why he has the greatest desire to control and he has to subjugate everybody under him because he's so fearful. Just like when Yoda is first introduced to Anakin Skywalker who became Darth Vader. He says, I sense a lot of fear in you, and that's the path to the dark side. He also says that to Luke, but Luke is able to overcome that fear eventually. See, there's another phenomenal allegory in Star Wars, the main hero who ultimately brings real freedom to the people is Luke, light, light. 
In other words, knowledge. He has to wield the green lightsaber, not the red one, not the blue one. Are we getting it yet? You know, when we talked about colors and frequencies in the past, red is the left brain. That's why Vader wields the left one. Blue is the right brain, which is why Obi-Wan wields that one. And why Luke starts wielding that, but then ultimately wields the green saber, which is the middle of the frequencies of light and the heart chakra. It means you've really forged the connection between the, 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 the mind and the heart. And he's fighting for the right reasons. I'm not that Obi-Wan was not, but he allows himself just to be taken out at some point. Thinking that I'll do more work in the, in the higher realms, you know, than right here, down here on the ground. It's, 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 the allegory is that the spiritual um, pull is stronger than the, the middle way for him, for Obi-Wan. But Luke is grounded. He has the connection to the higher self, but he's doing his work here on the ground, on the earth. So he's the real magician. And his name means light. That's not an accident. Nor is it an accident that the person George Lucas, Lucius Light, created this entire world of beings and allegory. That's not an accident either. Because he knows what's going on. He's in the know. So... Let's look at who these people were before they became what they are now. And just by the way, uh, if anyone is going to call in on the call-in number, if you've seen combat in World War II, European Theater of Operations, that's all the lines are open for, uh, do it now and get, it, get on the line because I'll have to screen it after this segment and then bring you on in the last segment. So um, let's look at who the emperor was. The emperor used to be Senator Palpatine, who worked in the uh, Senate of the Galactic Republic. And he became the emperor, this husk, this shell of his former self. self. You can see the comparisons between Palpatine, what he used to look like, and the emperor. Now, I'm not saying Palpatine is any, uh, you know, anything to really look at. You know, he's an, an old man, typical of like, you know, what a politician might look like, but he certainly doesn't look like what the emperor turned into. You know, this is showing you he's degraded and he's all wrinkled and he's a husk, a shell of his former self because of this desire that's within him to control everything. It has destroyed him. It has destroyed a significant part of him at least. All of these characters share similar characteristics. And again, the main character who Star Wars is really all about is Anakin Skywalker, the father of Luke. Okay? He, you know, this whole thing is who, who the dark side is now was your ancestry. And, he, and Luke doesn't want to look at that. When, when Vader finally tells him, I'm your father, I'm where you came from. He doesn't want to look at that. He doesn't want to acknowledge that at first. He finally accepts it. But we have to look at our past to really understand what's going on now. And there's a lot of horrors to be found there. 
You know, we want to think it's all glory of even how this country was founded on supposed pr principles of freedom. And yes, principles of true freedom were contained in the founding of this country. But look at what we did in practice. We took this land, took something that wasn't ours, that other people were using, that other people were living on. We conquered this land from the indigenous peoples who were living here. And we don't think we're going to reap any consequences as a result of that. Karma is not going to come back to bite us. Natural law is not going to have an effect in that situation. We're living proof that natural law is in existence and that the sins of the father will be visited upon future generations. This concept is contained in the story of Star Wars as well. Luke's father brought about the whole scenario of the galactic empire that he's living in. So it's showing you the father is enslaving the child. And this is a great allegory for people in the military and the police. You're putting your children into a cage. You're putting your children in chains by what you're doing in your state of unconsciousness, in your left brain prisonhood. So Vader used to be Anakin Skywalker, and he was a, a decent looking young man, a strapping young lad, okay? And he was on the right path at first. And then his desire, okay, to want to make things better and put things the exact way he wanted them, not to allow for freedom and the ability to people to make mistakes, which is what the military and police is all about, especially the police force actually believe that nonsense, that you're going to help people through controlling them. You're going to physically put them in chains or behind bars, and somehow you're going to change their mind about things. Or somehow you're going to make the world better. And that isn't going to come back to bite the entire world. That you're not trying to address the nature of the problem. You're not trying to address the causal factors that led to the conditions of these people's imbalances that led them to take negative behaviors. You just want to control them. You just want to put them in a cage. Not actually do any real digging, any real work upon the self. Nothing of that nature. Let's just segregate them from the rest of society and think we don't have to deal with that problem. You're a fool, little boy. A fool. How's that? Is that simple and straightforward enough? You have no idea how the laws of nature work, if that's what you think. If that's how you think you're going to make things better. Zero. Zero. And you better start learning because the level of ignorance that we are at and that these people are at in this hierarchy is so great that nature will is not going to tolerate this scenario for that much longer. And yeah, you can say, oh, there, here comes the doomsday prophecy and you're blowing this up into something bigger than it is and fear-mongering. But let me tell you something. At some point, nature finally says no. Know that. Accept it. Because it's the truth. At some point, it says you've had enough opportunities and the light was present and the knowledge was present and you decided to spit in its face, you decided to slap that gift out of the hand of the universe, put it on the floor, kick it to the floor, trample it, spit on it, and ignore everything that could have gotten you out of your situation, finally nature's going to say enough is enough. At some point. So we see what Anakin became, the husk of his former self that he became, the destruction of his inner being. We'll pick this up on the other side. Stay with us.
Welcome back, everyone. This is the last segment for this edition of What on Earth is Happening. We're talking about the destruction of the true self. How people hand themselves over to institutional bodies, hand themselves over in the chain of obedience, abandon their conscience, and become a husk of their former selves. So, we were looking at the characters from Star Wars and we saw that Darth Vader was once Anakin Skywalker who had all positive intentions, wanted to do good things, but thought that he was going to do them through control. And he became Vader, this husk of his former self, this shell, as you see there depicted on the right in image number 14. We finally see what Vader looks like when he is unmasked at the end of uh, Episode 6, Return of the Jedi. The stormtroopers are perhaps the most interesting, and we did, uh, we did not get any callers from World War II. Uh, I'm, that's unfortunate. I'll keep that offer open next week. And, um, you know, since I'm still going to be talking about the uh, Dominator culture and how to stop supporting it, and I'm not, I won't be taking calls from the average listener, I will continue to keep the line open only for World War II veterans next week. And uh, I promise not to put you on the spot too badly. It won't be insulting, okay? All I want to ask a simple question regarding how you feel about something and get your honest on-air opinion about it, okay? So um, if anybody is hesitant to call in because they think I'm going to come down on them real hard or anything like that, that's not the case, okay? So if anybody's out there who did serve in that capacity, call in. I have a simple question for you. That's all. Okay, um, so the stormtroopers are perhaps the most interesting part of this allegory. One, because there are many of them and they're, they're all the same. You know, you could even look at, okay, there's only one Darth Vader, there's only one emperor. There are many generals, yes, but they generally look different from each other. The most non-individuated, the most conformist character in this entire series is the stormtrooper because we learn in i believe it is episode 5 attack of the clones we learn that all of the stormtroopers are in fact the same being they are cloned from the same man jango fett so if you took the stormtroopers helmets off you would see the same being underneath. They all look exactly like Django Fett. There's none of them who are any different at all. So this is an, a, a hinting that, or an allusion to the fact that people in this capacity are the most controlled. They're way down on the, the hierarchy and they've given up all aspects of individuality. They're just part of a herd they're just slaves who just because they are given this tiny little bit of power here, you have, you could have this group of people under you. We'll tell you you're allowed to command them. Okay. And therefore, okay, that, that fulfills your little bestial animalistic requirement to have some physical control over someone else. So you'll give yourself over as a slave to us. 
and you'll give away all of the uniqueness of your being, all of your individuality. And that's what the stormtrooper represents. And that's exactly what the police are. Clones. And I would, I would go so far as to say, so are the military. Clones of each other. And you could just see this just in their uniforms. That's why they make them wear these same uniforms. Bring them into group identity. Train them the same way. To, bring them, to break down their former self and, and build this new husk that they're going to have them inhabit which is a biological robot or a golem. It's all cult techniques. One of the things I want to look at, perhaps I'll look at it next week, is that the training techniques of military and police are identical to every cult in existence. The techniques that are used to indoctrinate someone into a cult are identical to the training techniques of the police and military whether in police training or boot camp, military boot camp. Same thing. And it's provable. So they're all clones. They're copies from this character Django Fett, who was Boba Fett's father in the storyline. Okay? If we look at image 16, I'm trying to show the example here of how exactly identical... This, this is not just an allegory. This isn't seemingly far-fetched. It's exactly what is, is happening in the world to these individuals. They all look alike. They all look the same. There is no individuality tolerated. You don't step out of line. Your little wind-up toy soldier. Wear your uniform. One form. Don't break out of form. Formation. Don't be free-flowing. Don't be a true self. Don't be a true individual. That's the message here. Oh, yeah, we'll, give you, we'll throw someone to you so you can beat on them. Sure, why not? We'll put you in combat. You can get all your aggression out there because you know you're a slave subconsciously. You know you're a little lap dog pet. And you're not, nothing like a real man. Zero. People think that this is somehow manly. There's nothing like a real man in this belonging to an institution. A real man, a real woman, a real being, a real human is a unique sovereign individual that takes pride in their uniqueness and standing out from other people. Not going and being a herd member of a group that's going to dress you the same, cut all your hair off so you don't look you don't maintain any individual look to yourself, so you all look the same in basic form. Dress you up the same, like a little doll, and then go send you to die the same way. Kill and die the same way, on the altar. We made this altar of sacrifice for you, so we don't even have to do it for you. We don't have to march you up pyramids anymore and carve your heart out with an obsidian blade. Oh, remember those days, that was tough on us. We'll just send you out into the battlefield to do it yourselves. And you do, like well-trained little lapdogs that you are. And for people who think that's harsh, like I said, get as offended as you want. That's exactly how it is. And I'll continue to tell it exactly how it is. The bottom line to all of this, ladies and gentlemen, regardless of what you want to think or believe, is that 
it comes down to respect. It comes down to self-respect. Okay? You need to take another look at your own self and your own actions. And that the answer lies in the mirror. The mirror is where that's going to be found. Image number 17 is what it's ultimately all about. Okay? Latin, it comes from the Latin language. Again, the word respect. It means to take another look at. And that's ultimately what we have to do. To take another look at our own actions. So, my final words here in all of this is stop trying to be something that you're not. Stop trying to fit in. Stop trying to belong. Don't be a copy. Be a unique individual, not a clone. Okay? Because trying to continuously fit in and be like everybody else and not express your own uniqueness, not express your own individuality is the problem here. Not allowing for that is the problem. We need to step outside of these confines of these hierarchical institutionalized structures and express our own unique individuality and stop identifying with collectivist think and with group think. And to do that, one has to have true self-respect. Respect for themselves is where that ultimately comes from. The philosopher Vernon Howard perhaps put it best that human sickness is so severe that few can bear to look at it. But those who do look at it will become well. The answer lies in looking within, looking in that mirror and being honest about what you see. And remember, as we head out, because that's all the time we have for this episode, there are only two paths that one can make. Only two mistakes one can make on the path to truth. Not starting and not going all the way. We'll see you next week on What on Earth is Happening. Thanks for listening, everyone. 